Welcome to Inside the Bradfield Centre. I'm James Parton, the Managing Director of the Bradfield Centre. And I'm Adelina Chalmers. I'm also known as the Geek Whisperer. Joining us today is David Beatty, who is the founder of Nickeld, uh, one of the companies based here with us at the Bradfield Centre. I'm really interested in hearing from David is because I know he worked, I think, for a couple of years really early on in the shuttle uh, days. And I, I was curious and interested to hear what what did working at shuttle early on, being part of that high growth experience, teach him about business and about running a business and how does that apply to his company today? Yeah, and, and kind of similar to that, I'm keen to talk to David about SaaS. Um, you know, we have a lot of SaaS businesses in the building. Um, David spent his, you know, virtually his entire career working in SaaS-style businesses, and um, and I believe Nickel's customer base is largely SaaS companies. So I'm sure he's got a lot of great insight, um, you know, in terms of how you drive forward those kinds of businesses. So, David, thanks so much for taking the time out today to have a, a conversation with us. Um, why don't you just, why don't we start things off just by kind of exploring your your kind of experience and your journey and how you've got to being the founder of Nickeld? Thanks, James. Uh, really happy to be here. Yeah, so I have a computer science background, so I definitely come more from the engineering side of things. In my teens, I was building websites. Uh, this was back when there was dial-up internet. I was using GeoCities, Dreamweaver, uh, running my own Linux servers at home, that kind of thing. And I was always really taken with the idea that you could put something online and it would be globally available so anyone could access the, the work you've created straight away. Um, so that's really my motivation for getting involved in web technologies. Um, after university, I went to work for Accenture, the consulting company. That was uh, a good experience. I met a lot of fantastic people, worked on some big projects like Unilever and Thomas Cook. But I was mainly on the SAP side of things, which is a big ERP system. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, but it wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. So after a couple of years, I had itchy feet. Uh, I knew I wanted to kind of help build companies rather than work in a massive one. So I applied for some startups in London and I was really lucky because I joined a successful one called Shuttle. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Shuttle, but what they did was allow internet deliveries in 90 minutes. So you could order something online. You could go to Argos, you can order a TV and we'd ship it to your address within 90 minutes or an hour window if you're choosing. And this was about 10 years ago. so. It was quite revolutionary and like a new idea at the, at the time. So it was like pre-Uber, pre-Deliveroo, et cetera. Um, and we integrated with retailers and same-day couriers, and that's how we delivered the stuff to your door. After working at Shuttle for a couple of years, I went contracting. So I was doing Ruby on Rails, still working in web technologies, uh, worked at some funded startups in London. And then I came up with the idea of Nickeld, um, at this point in time, I had some 
savings and I had some money from the eBay acquisition of Shuttle because I had a small amount of equity in that company, um, which allowed me to invest my own capital in starting Nickeld, which leads me to the Bradfield Centre and today. So could I ask you, David, what, what would you say working um, and being an early hire in a high growth company, what did that teach you for, for what you're doing now, for, for running your company now? Mm, that's a really good question. So going back to Shuttle, I was probably the fourth or fifth person in the company. Uh, it was based in London, just around the Old Street area. Um, they probably raised about $8 million. Um, And like I said, this was 10 years ago. Um, I think I learned quite a lot. Um, the, the founders were already experienced. So Tom Allison, he had already built and sold another uh, logistics company called eCourier. So it was really interesting watching him operate and the processes that they ran inside the company uh, to build, shuttle the product in the company. Uh, I think that was a great experience. And then they were also very efficient, I would say, in using their existing networks and the LinkedIn for opening up connections and opportunities for new business, which was good. At that point, I didn't even have a LinkedIn profile or anything. Um, another thing that I think was good to see was that they were also brave in that they would reach out to massive companies established businesses and even though they were a small startup there's like four or five people in a room they'd be reaching out to like Argos or Maplin or Toys R Us and um, Argos was the first big client and before joining Shuttle I would have probably assumed that there's no way we could get a company the size of Argos um, considering the size of Shuttle but um, that was a good experience to see that Argos would um, work with us and that even if you are a small startup you should be brave in who you're trying to sell to or who you're trying to partner with. I've got fond memories of Shuttle, I know them well um, and I think we crossed paths didn't we David maybe back uh, back in the Shoreditch days? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, we used the Twilio API a lot for our logistics so yeah that's, that's probably where we met first. Yeah, I've got, I've got a nice story actually about Shuttle and um, your, I think it was your VP of Engineering Steve Romney back then? Yeah, he's a great guy. So when I was working at Twilio, this is very early on, must have been about maybe 2012. Um, and I had the enviable task of putting on our first kind of developer conference in London, um, which was, you know, kind of quite a challenge. So we had to try and get 300 people in a room on on one, like, I can't remember when, it must have been September or October 2012 or something like that. And uh, Steve had kindly agreed to kind of come on a panel um, as part of the speaker lineup. And then I get a call from him on the Sunday, the day, you know, like less than 24 hours before the event. And he, he just said, look, James, I, I might not be able to make it. And I'm kind of selfishly thinking, oh, my God, you know, I, I'm, I've got a real hole now to fill. And uh, he goes, I'll, I'll try my hardest, but just to let you know, you know, I might not make it because of some, you know, some some challenges in the business or however he described it but you know steve showed up on the monday and he did his panel session and, and and it was only afterwards that you know what i actually discovered was it was that weekend that ebay were actually acquiring um 
you know, shut also poor old Steve was dealing with the acquisition and there's me kind of trying to stress him about showing up to my event on the Monday, but it's just a, you know, kind of, it's a really nice memory of just like, you know, I guess the commitment and the kind of, uh, you know, the, the kind of, uh, the culture you guys must've had because, you know, Steve couldn't have been, you know, Steve was just great. And, uh, you know, he came through for us and, and you guys were obviously a very early, you know, success story for Twilio in, in London and in the UK. So yeah, fond memories. So can you tell us a little bit, David, about um, Nickeld and the problem you're solving with this company? Sure. So basically, Nickeld came out of my experience contracting. I was working at some funded startups in London, um, including one of my good friends, AJ and Peters, um, called Gleanin. And they were spending a lot of money on software engineers and developers um, to build features for their application. But what we weren't doing a good job of was communicating to our users about these features that they were spending a lot of money building. And I thought this was a really interesting problem because it, it was obviously something that would be really valuable to their end users if you explain to them how the software worked. But it was also something that was hard to get on the roadmap because it different, didn't differentiate their product or software. So that was where the initial idea came from. And what we've done at Nickeld is built cutting edge software to show users how to use websites and, and online applications, basically. Um, there's three main reasons why a company would want to use Nickeld. One is more the customer onboarding and support aspect. So maybe they've already got a lot of customers, but they're struggling with adoption of that software or they're getting a lot of inbound support requests, getting asked the same question again and again. And the Nickeld approach would be allowing them to create a guide so that they can show those users how to get the most out of the software or how to solve their problem themselves. Then the second use case is more around internal training. So the UK government, for example, uh, one of the departments there uses it for training their staff on how to use Salesforce. So they've bought some off-the-shelf cloud-based software and they need to think about how they're going to train 10,000 employees on how to use that software and how to get the most out of it, um, which is obviously uh, a big, big challenge for some companies. And then the third use case is more around sales demos. So with Nickel, you could create an interactive guide. And because of our replication technology, you could then send that guide out to a potential customer. And then the software will show them around the software um, explaining how it works. So... Even though we have these different use cases, the underlying problem we're solving is the customer education aspect and showing users how to get the most out of web-based applications, um, which is a problem we solve, basically. And like chatting to you in the in the center, I, I understand that you're, you're looking to expand as well. You're looking to introduce new products. Is that right? Yeah. So um, we, we registered the company, um, I think, over five years ago now. Um, and it's been growing since then. Um, we, we have over 150 customers, uh, and we, we're basically adding a second product, which is called Cloaked, uh, which is something we actually needed inside Nickeld ourselves. So uh, our customers, because we host their guides, a lot of them wanted to run the guides on their own domain name. So instead of being gumtree.nickeld.com, you'd want it running on guides.gumtree.com or training.gumtree.com or whatever the, the company domain name is. Um, and Cloak just makes that process really seamless and easy. 
So we, we ran Cloaked internally for about 18 months. And then six months ago, uh, we opened it up. So other SaaS products that are looking to offer white labeling solutions um, could use Cloaked for securing these third-party domain names, um, which have been going well. So we've got about 20 customers on that. Nice. Uh, I love how both products have come from a problem that you actually came across and were trying to solve. You know, that's that's always, I think, the secret to success of a lot of startups is, uh, you know, you, you've got an itch that you're trying to scratch and you, you realize other people have got the same problem. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think we've been really lucky with b- both startups because um, they're both on web-based and then there's enough people out there that are searching for the problems or solutions to these problems that we get a lot of traffic where organically where people are looking to solve these kind of issues um and like you said it's kind of cheating because i saw the problems because i experienced them (laughs) directly rather than just sitting at home brainstorming oh i wish i could start a business i wonder what what i could build kind of thing Um, yeah, there was an aspect of that as well. Um, the first version was very similar to um, Optimizely. I don't know if you've used that A-B testing yeah, software. So our software for creating the guides is like kind of modeled on their uh, A-B testing software. So you can you use Nickled, you open up a web page within Nickled, and then you can start making changes. Um, so, so I was kind of inspired by their technology as well. Um, and then, yeah, took it from there, really. David, could I ask you, what sort of size companies are your ideal customers? And could any of the other Bradfield Center members, you know, benefit from your technology? And if so, how? Yeah, so um, that's that's a good question. It's, it's, one of the, it's always a challenge because we don't have the most clearly defined user base in the world, to be honest. So we, we, like I said, we've got about 150 customers on Nickeled and they range from one-man bands who have a product which they're, uh, which they're running themselves and they're creating guides either for support or for sales demos. Mm. And then we have some massive multinational organizations like EDF Energy or GE or, like I said before, the UK government is another big one. Um, and they're using us for slightly different reasons as well. There's no reason why someone at the Bradfield Center wouldn't be able to use our software as long as, it, as long as their applications are web-based and they have this kind of either adoption or customer support issues that they're looking to improve. Um, we don't have like a strict rule on we only work with enterprise or uh, we don't touch customers over 10 people, size organization or anything like that. The, the only strict criteria is that they have a web-based application and they're looking to show users how to use it. And it's across any industry then? Maybe 80% of our customers are actually other SaaS software providers. So a lot of our customers are also selling online software. And then they're, they're having like creating guides to improve their onboarding, um, showing their users on how to get the most out of it. Um, and then we are expanding in the internal training space as well at the moment we're rolling out a salesforce integration um which is looking really good at the moment um which allows companies to have nickel widgets inside salesforce so that they can kind of train their staff with a hands-off approach 
so that the users as they navigate around Salesforce can load the relevant training guides. So you mentioned SaaS there, David, as you know, your customer base being predominantly SaaS. I mean, I can obviously absolutely see the attraction of this to any SaaS kind of provider. Um, obviously, you know, with SaaS, it's all about optimizing inbound kind of direct marketing, right? So removing any hurdles or barriers or frustrations from the user experience and getting them to registration and usage is the kind of the key goal um so what i mean with your experience of both working in SaaS businesses and then having SaaS as your kind of customer base what kind of advice would you give to kind of companies out there that are that are operating a SaaS business model in terms of optimization and getting those customers through their kind of website to uh, acquisition as quickly as possible well like you said um i think lowering friction so People can sign up for a free trial, try out your software. It's definitely the way that the world should move. Um, people don't want to often speak to salespeople, um, especially in the current COVID-19 environment. They want to be able to work from home, try software out uh, themselves to see if it scratches their itch. Um, so making sure that your users can understand how to use your software and operate it without you being there is critical, I think, in in the current climate, um, which is probably benefiting our business a lot at the moment. Um, and then, yeah, just making sure that um, you, you basically set your product up for success and that the product helps sell itself um, is kind of really important for online inbound sales so all of our customers at the moment uh, come from SEO inbound. Um, they all understand that they have a problem. They're all Googling how to solve their problems. Um, so making sure that you can be found online as well is critical. Um, yeah, I think we've learned a lot both around the benefits of SEO because you, and inbound marketing because our customers are already looking for a solution to their problem. We don't have to convince them that they have this issue. Um, where if we had had uh, more of a outbound sales motion, um, you have to like kind of start with, hey, do you have this problem or did you know you could improve your business by doing this? But because our customers are already looking for a solution, that really uh, lowers the resistance to a potential sale. Um, and then because because it's online as well, we're, we're basically global. So about 70% of our customers are in the US, 20% in the UK, and then, yeah, 10% rest of world kind of thing. So, I mean, I know Adelaide and I are always kind of really fascinated having the kind of sales and marketing conversations with companies in the Cambridge area. So it sounds like the bulk of your your kind of marketing and sales strategy is SEO and maybe Google AdWords, and that's just driving all the traffic and you're just converting it online. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, well, that, that's our current approach, but there are... I guess when you come to scale your SaaS business, there are limitations to that approach. So it's hard for us to convince people that they should be searching for a solution to that to this problem. So we, there's finite search demand, right? And as we expand to adjacent areas, those inbound leads would then become less and less relevant. So I think one of the areas we're keen to... Uh, improving the future is our outbound kind of approach as well. Um, we haven't been too successful with that approach in the past, mainly because you have this barrier where you have to first, you either need to hit the person at the right time when they're having the pain 
or you need to convince them that they have a problem which you can fix, which isn't easy to do. And then obviously, because our pricing is more for self-service online, it's expensive to do an outbound approach. Um, so I think that's one of the barriers to scaling to you know, thousands of customers that we're grappling with at the moment. Um, but I think we'll get there. There's lots of other things that we've learned, like scaling our SaaS business around. We, we do a lot of things like around funnel data, event tracking, um, understanding what our users are doing inside our applications. I don't, don't know if you guys are familiar with segment and amplitude and, and software like that. But we track a lot of things around our product and usage. Um, and we've learned that sometimes it's better to be kind of more agile with the changes and not wait for the perfect data points. Because one of the good things about running a SaaS product is you can easily revert your changes or roll back. So, I mean, we're probably on version six of our pricing or something like that. Um, and then allowing us to run these experiments has been really useful. Um, so you, you should not be afraid to like make changes and run experiments online. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned, but one of the key people inside the business uh, I worked with at Accenture called Nicholas Holmes. I met him at Accenture and then he went to work at Google. And then because he has this kind of SEO and AdWords experience, that's become a key driver for our business. So if you're looking to grow your business, it probably is really beneficial if you can find the relevant skills. And I guess that's one of the good things about being in the Cambridge area. There's a lot of skillful people around. I was going to ask you actually something, David, if I may, because it's it's really, um, it was very interesting when you said earlier that your ideal customer doesn't, there's a huge variety between your customers. And I find when companies usually say that, when they start digging into the profits that they make with certain types of customers and who should they advertise with next and all the rest of it, should they fire some customers, they discover that there is actually one type of customer of that huge variety of customers that really brings the biggest profit. Is this something that you think you're going to be moving towards in your near future, looking at that, you know, looking at do you really care about some of the smaller customers or there's no detriment or benefit to you carrying on supporting them do you have any ideas around that or is it just my experience of other companies that wouldn't apply to you would you say it's a good question i don't think we're going to be firing any customers in a hurry um and to, to be honest the smaller ones are the ones i really enjoy working with so it's the more small agile businesses that can adopt software quickly and uh yeah have interesting use cases for our software, which I think are quite attractive to work with. Um, we probably will be looking at how we can expand in the most profitable sectors. I think that's common sense. We, we won't just be purely driven by who, who we can make the most money from. Having said that, though, we are looking to increase our Salesforce user base. I think there's a lot of demand there. It's massively complex software. It makes a lot of sense for us to have a really tight integration for that software. And yeah, there should be similarities with their user base and our user base. Sounds like you're beginning to Dreamforce soon then. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. We were, at, we were actually in uh, San Francisco when uh, 
COVID-19 scuppered our plans. We were going to go to, I don't know if you've been to SASTA before, but it's the world's biggest SAS conference uh, run by Jason Lemkin. So uh, myself and Nick were both in San Francisco when three days before the conference got cancelled due to the outbreak. And yeah, we had to cut short our Airbnb stay and fly home. Oh, thing. So what's your experience? I mean, you started to talk there about Cambridge um, and, you know, the uh, the skill sets in Cambridge. So what's what's brought you to the city? You know, what do you what do you find? Do you feel like it's an advantage being in Cambridge? What's your experience of the local tech uh, kind of ecosystem? Yeah, I think that Cambridge has a really strong tech ecosystem. There's loads of successful companies here like Arm, Redgate, Darktrace. Um, so like I was saying before, it's, if you can find people that have already solved your problems before, either like scaling up a, a SaaS business or like doing outbound sales, then drawing on that experience uh, will massively benefit your business. Um, it's not a coincidence when you go to, I'm sure, Dreamforce or SaaStock or SASTA, if you listen to the, the company speak a lot of the time, the people have already come from previously successful businesses like Salesforce or Intercom, et cetera, et cetera. So, and Cambridge has that success. Um, so you should tap, tap on that. And then obviously with the university, there's a lot of innovation going on. There's a lot of great people you can hire, high caliber people um, that just aren't available in other places in the UK. So I think Cambridge is a yeah, fantastic place to base your business. Yeah, and I've been in the Bradfield Centre on the Science Park for, I think it's just over a year and a half now. And it's been a superb place to work. I'm very, very happy here. I think the events and the ecosystem that you guys have created has been superb. Um, obviously, um, there's also additional perks, like the, the facilities are really smoothly run, coffee's topped up. Um, you also have the the hosting credits, um, which we I know you helped us a lot, James, getting uh, on the search program with Google. So our, like hosting has basically been free the last year and a half, which has saved us yeah tens of thousands. Um, I, I think the Bradfield team have done a lot to to help uh, help Nickel in its success, um, and the people that you've got in the building. Because you have this tech focus, I mean, these are the peers, these are the people that if you're running a tech business in the Cambridge area, this is why you need to be in the Bradfield Centre. Um, I sit next to Phil um, from Jump Tech. Uh, he's previously sold a SaaS business. His current one is growing well. I know you had him on an earlier podcast. Uh, yeah, and it's just really beneficial if you're around people like that because he he also works in SaaS, but he comes more from the sales side of things. And then we look at things in in similar ways, but he, he just takes a slightly different angle. So it's really useful for me to be able to learn from a guy like Phil. Um, obviously, we, Dan Harris sits near me as well. So he's got a lot of expertise in DevOps. And then there's the iProva guys, the extremely smart and very creative working in the innovation space. So I think the ecosystem is really special and needs to be uh, protected and is very important for the long-term success of Cambridge. Well, we appreciate the kind words, David. Thank you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad that um, 
you know, we managed to get that support for you from Google in particular because, you know, it, it's, I mean, it's obviously quite overwhelming when you join a place like the Bradfield Centre. There's so much going on and a lot of people just want to get their heads down and, you know, get their work done. But, um, you know, having these additional benefits like being able to join up to the Google startup programs or Amazons or whoever it might be, there's just, you know, it's free cash on the table, right? And as you say, it, it almost strips a year of cost out of your business. So, yeah, I, de- I definitely recommend anyone listening to this to, to check out those additional benefits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're thinking about starting a tech company or if you're already running a tech company in the Cambridge area, you should certainly check out the Bradfield Centre if you're looking for a place to base your business. David, is there anything um, happening in your business right now? Are you recruiting? Is there anything you'd like the um, the people listening to this podcast to know about that you'd like them perhaps to, um, to do or act on? Yeah, if you're using Salesforce and you're looking to improve your training, we would like some beta customers on our new Salesforce extension. Or um, if you're looking for digital adoption software or or planning to create white label option in your SaaS product, then just reach out. Or if you just want to talk about SaaS business in general and you need any help, then reach out to me. Always happy, happy to talk and help if I can. That's amazing, David. Thanks. You know, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Lovely to speak to you guys. Lovely hearing more about what you're doing. So another really interesting conversation. I, I was really uh, fascinated by, um, I guess, the inspiration for both uh, both products being um you know, rooted in real world problems that David was trying to solve. And you actually see that um, often with very successful startups, you know, they're actually solving real world problems that, you know, people have. I agree. And I think that's fantastic. It's a recipe for success usually. And in Cambridge, I think we have this phenomenon where we roll out this cutting edge technology um, and then companies start looking for problems to solve in the marketplace, which doesn't always work. So I think the way he's doing it is is much more likely to be successful. Yeah. And as we suspected, you know, he was full of great insight about, you know, running SaaS businesses and, you know, how to. And again, something that we talk a lot about, Adelina, is like, the, you know, sales and marketing, right? There's there's huge amounts of technology expertise in Cambridge, but sometimes we need more sales and marketing skills and experience. And it was really interesting to hear how, you know, David's essentially built a very successful business with over, you know, I think he mentioned more than 100 customers. Some of those are blue chip companies. And it's it's really being all driven by SEO and uh, and Google AdWords. Yeah, and it was really interesting also to hear what he learned from being part of Shuttle. And one of the key things that I'd like all the startup founders listening to this podcast is how big companies will work with you. Um, and he was talking about Argos and how Argos was one of their customers. Um, if you add real value. So don't be shy. Don't uh, avoid approaching the big guys uh, if you are a startup because they will work with you if you, you genuinely and truly um, solve a real business problem they have. I can't sign off without the reference to GeoCities uh, with the with the early days on the web. I don't, do you remember? I, you're, I bet you don't even know what GeoCities is, do you? You're probably not old enough. I do, actually. I remember. Do you? Yep. Yeah. 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 One of my first websites got a GeoCities Website of the Week award, which was like <laughs> the, the highlight, the best thing ever. I think I might have the badge somewhere still. <laughs> so, so thanks for David for giving us a blast from the past and mentioning GeoCities. 
so thanks once again to david for coming onto the show very much appreciated uh you can find the show on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher and soundcloud or bradfieldcenter.com under events and community mm-hmm.